I hope that you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Uh, we were in Fresno with my family, and it was good for us to be together. But as I look back on the last few days and reflect on that time, I want to ask you a question. You can be honest about this, okay? Um, if your wife or your husband smacks you because, you know, you, your answer, that's their problem and not yours. Um, are the holidays stressful or relaxing for you? I'm not sure they can be both, uh, but I, I get what you're saying. Uh, now, I want to keep in mind that I'm not asking you if, um, if, if you enjoy the holidays. I'm going to assume for the most part that you like being with your family and you enjoy being thankful and uh, celebrating Jesus. Uh, but I personally find the holidays to be a little bit of a stressful time, and one of the reasons why it is so stressful for me is that I get pretty locked in to wanting to make sure things are ready to go. Uh, whatever it is in whatever category uh, that, that might fall into. Uh, you know, this is, this is a big season in the life of the church, and uh, there is a lot to do and a lot to think through and prepare for, and it always kind of sneaks up on me that, oh, you know, Advent is coming, and we have to get this. So, so last week, we, we ordered the candles and the wreath. I mean, we didn't wait till the last minute. We just remembered at the last minute uh, to get all of these things done. At home and with my family, there are meals to plan, presents uh, to be bought, travel to be planned and implemented, uh, and all of this together stresses me out. So uh, many of you know that my, uh, my mom has had some health issues over the last couple of years, and uh, she's now living in an in-care home facility in Fresno. Uh, so there's always a little bit of uh, a stress about that when we're going to go and we're going to see her and what condition is she going to be in. So this is how my week went leading up to Thanksgiving. Uh, Nisha and Jed left on Monday. And they took two of our little dogs with them. We have three dogs. We are those people, apparently. Uh, they took our two little dogs with them. And I stayed back because Zeke had basketball practice and a game on Tuesday. So Tuesday rolls around, and, and Zeke, you know, we're, he's at home. He's doing laundry. We're packing. We're, we're trying to get stuff together. I'm here at work. I'm trying to finish uh, things up here. And uh, I have a lunch appointment. And I'm, after my lunch appointment, I'm going to take Zeke to San Anselmo for a basketball game. Um, I get out of my lunch appointment and turn the car on, and the tire pressure gauge that's in my car says that one of my tires is perilously low. <laughs> so I call Zeke, and I'm like, you have to find another ride to San Anselmo. I'll get there if I can. And, and then I feel terrible, right, because I'm going to miss his game. Um, but So I go to uh, Les Schwab, and I had to leave my car there for about five hours. Uh, only to find out just before 6 that there was a nail in the shoulder of the tire, which means that they can't patch it because the patch won't stick. Do you know how much one new tire was? $350 for one new tire, which was not going to come in until the next day. In the meantime, Zeke calls me and says, Hey, Dad, we're at San Anselmo. Guess where the San Anselmo team is? They were at Montgomery High School. So these parents had driven these kids all the way an hour to San Anselmo and got there. 
and the other basketball team had come here. So they turned around and drove back an hour and 20 minutes in traffic just to come and play a scrimmage. The other teams got to play uh, something. So uh, the next day, we had wait around all day for the tire. I, you know, we got this stuff done, and we got on the road to Fresno at 3 o'clock. We got to Fresno at 10. It took seven hours to get to Fresno. This is how my Thanksgiving week started. <laughs> I had my dog uh, Remus with me, uh, my, my husky, and uh, my sister brought her dog, and it turns out that they don't like each other. So they couldn't be in the same space at the same time. Uh, so we had to have Remus outside when Hurley was inside, and while Remus was outside, my dad has adopted a feral cat <laughs> that he's very protective of, and Remus had never seen a cat before, so he was very interested in this cat, and the cat was not interested in him, which caused more drama. So I was, I was strung about as tightly as you can be on Thanksgiving Day. This is how... This is why these kinds of things are what stress me out about the holidays. And it's no surprise, I think, to any of you that know me very well, that I like to have kind of things all locked up and, and kind of ready to go before something actually happens. So let's just use the example of saying uh, that someone is going to come over to our house for dinner or something like that. I have certain things that I want to be done before people can come over. And these are not, you know, uh, abnormal things. I want the house to be cleaned, at least, you know, not, not a deep clean, but I, I want it to be cleaned. I want things to be picked up and put away, which is not a given in my house. Uh, the floors and the furniture vacuumed because there's dog hair everywhere. Uh, things are dusted. Bathrooms are cleaned. Um, and if all of these things that I think need to be done are not done, I stress out about it. And my wonderful wife, on the other hand, is much better at just rolling with things. Uh, in fact, she's kind of notorious, according to me, for wanting to bake something at the last minute. Like, we're trying to throw everything together, and we're cooking, and, so, and she'll decide that she wants to bake something, you know, like 30 minutes before people get here. Uh, and I'm not saying that in these situations, when I'm stressed out, and Nisha is rolling and baking things, uh, that she handles me. Uh, but she definitely tells me to relax, and that everything is going to be okay, and tells me I'm her special boy. Um, I mean, guys, guys, I can totally be spontaneous. See that? I just clapped. And, and, and I did that just spontaneously. It wasn't planned at all. I'm just kidding. It's in my notes. Being ready matters to me. Like, it really does. And... In some ways, I admire people that can just roll with it, although I don't want to be them, and I think they're crazy. <laughs> uh, what, does it, what does being ready look like for you? How important is readiness in your life? And, uh, I mean, to be fair, it kind of probably depends on what we're talking about. Right? There are some things that we probably put a lot of time and energy into being ready for and other things that we don't. Uh, we make checklists, for example, to help us prepare for upcoming events or things that need to be done. And for many people, checklists are a great comfort because you feel like you're accomplishing things and you're not going to forget stuff, although you still will. And it's not your fault, it's just you forgot to put it on the checklist. So 
The, the thing is, we know, when we know that something is going to happen, we, can, uh, we know when it's going to happen. We know about how long it's going to last. We know what's needed. Uh, we have a finite list of things that need to be done, and we can prepare for that thing and feel like, okay, we're ready. The season of Advent begins with a call to readiness. We look back at the birth of Jesus while looking forward in anticipation to his return. There is an important acknowledgement that is made during this season, and that is this. As Christians, we live a life of expectation. We know that Jesus is going to return, and we want to be ready for his return. But how, church, do we make sure that we are ready for the return of Jesus? When it comes to being ready for his return, there are seemingly an infinite number of ways that we can prepare for him. And then we have this other added difficulty, which is we don't know when Jesus is coming back. The Bible says that no one knows when Jesus will return. So we have to be ready for something that we don't know when it is going to happen and has almost too many things possibly for us to manage in order to be ready for it. So it leads us to the question of, well, then how can we be sure we are ready for the return of Jesus or not? If there's too many things and we don't know when it is, what does readiness even look like? Interestingly enough, within this context of being ready for the return of Jesus, while the first Sunday is about that, the theme of this Sunday is hope. Those are not two ideas I typically associate with one another, readiness and hope, unless I'm saying literally, like, I hope I'm ready. <laughs> um, but that would be an exercise in missing the point if, if, I, if I go down that road. We should... We should always strive to live a life that is, modeled, uh, that is modeled for us by Jesus, right? I mean, we are, we are wanting to uh, live a life that glorifies God, that upholds everything that Jesus is about. But, so, so there's a temptation, I think, for us to say, well, if we're going to be ready, we have to be as much like Jesus as we can be. But isn't a big part of this whole Jesus thing understanding that I need a Savior because I'm not really capable on my own. And this is where the idea of hope comes in and ties to the readiness that we are to have. The hope that we have in Christ is the knowledge that God loves us, that Jesus died for us, and the expectation that when he returns, we will see all things restored and made new. Amen? Amen. This is our hope, and this is the promise that God has given to us. Now look, sometimes I, I feel like when we look at the story of Jesus, or we look at everything that happened, it's almost like, you know, Jesus happened within a vacuum, as if he, as if he just showed up in this place, and there was uh, there was nothing to, to prepare the world for him. But the, the promise of a coming Savior was nothing new to the people of God. In fact, it was a really, really old idea. The people of God had been waiting for a Messiah to come forever. 
And part of this, the reason why they were looking for the Messiah was their relationship with God, God and his people, was a complicated one. The people of God had an opportunity to be ruled, guided, and cared for by the one living God. But just like us, they were too easily swayed to want to be like all of the nations that were around them. And it started out with them uh, wanting a king. And that turned into wanting a kingdom, just like everyone else around them. And eventually, these kings led the people away from God. They worshipped foreign idols and gave up the living God for figures of stone and metal and poles of wood. And this was not an overnight happening, but instead one that unfolded slowly and painfully. But something interesting develops within this story, this kind of tragic story of God's people moving away from him. As the people moved away from God, God ended up renewing his promises and even building on them. And how he built on them was that he told his people that one day someone, something would come. And it would change the story forever. Now, by the time of the prophet Jeremiah, the northern kingdom of Israel had already abandoned God and God had given them up to their enemies. The southern kingdom of Judah went back and forth between God and idols and God and idols and God and idols. But, but that, that back and forth was slowing down to where it was, they were worshiping idols way, way, way more than they were worshiping God. Jeremiah was a prophet during the time of King Josiah, who we just talked about. And he was a part of the effort to uh, reform the nation of Judah when they found the law. He was a part of this whole thing. But, Josiah, or, but Jeremiah knew that even if Judah could turn things around and come back to God, that they were still going to fall, just as Israel had done. But in the midst of this acknowledgement that, is, that Judah was going to fall, Jeremiah still spoke a message of hope. And he was not the first one to speak this message. Isaiah spoke it before him. But listen to these words from Jeremiah chapter 33, verses 10 through 11. This is what the Lord says. You say about this place, it is a desolate waste without people or animals. Yet in the towns of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem that are deserted, inhabited by neither people nor animals, there will be heard once more the sounds of joy and gladness, the voices of bride and bridegroom, and the voices of those who bring thank offerings to the house of the Lord, saying, Give thanks to the Lord Almighty, for the Lord is good. His love endures forever. For I will restore the fortunes of the land as they were before, says the Lord. Now understand the situation. Jeremiah is saying, we're going into exile. Judah is going to fall. And when we look around Jerusalem, it is not the place that we remember it being. It is empty. There, is, there are no people. There is no rejoicing. There is no celebration. But Jeremiah speaks for God. And what he says gives us great insight into our God. 
which this insight is something that I think we too often take for granted. But he, he says that even though God's people had forsaken him, that the damage was done, that some of these things could not be ignored, that they were going to go into exile, that all of these things were true. But in spite of that, God promised that there would be a day when his people would be restored and they would once more say, the Lord is good and his love endures forever. And the thing that we need to wrap our minds around is this message was given in a time where there was not a whole lot for Judah or Israel to hold on to. But God speaks into that space, that space of exile, that loss of identity, and he says, the time will come when you will know that I am good and that my love endures. Think about what a remarkable statement that is. That even though they had left him, God still had hope for them, and he wanted to restore them. Picking it up in verses 14 through 16. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good promise I made to the people of Israel and Judah. In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called the Lord, our righteous Savior. This is an important idea here, this branch from David. Isaiah called it the stump of Jesse, which I like that image a lot. Because what he is saying is the tree's been cut down. But guess what still exists? The roots. And even though the tree has been cut down, these roots, this stump still exists. And from this stump, there will be new growth. The tree's not dead. It's still alive. And it is going to grow again. So I want you to hear something loud and clear. Because this is important to us. God wanted to save the people who had abandoned him and forsaken him. A major part of the story of God and his people is God's promise to build, restore, and to make right what is wrong. And he had promised Israel and Judah that they would be his people, and even though they had fallen so far, he was not going to give up on them. He would follow through on his promise that they would be his people. But where originally God promised that they would be his people, out of goodness and faithfulness, he added to that promise. Even though his people whom he loved had left him, he would not abandon them, and on one day they would be restored and they would know who he is, that the Lord is good and his love endures forever. This promise, this hope, was carried by the exiled people of God into Babylon and Assyria. It was brought back to Jerusalem with them in the time of Nehemiah and Ezra, and it carried over into the time of Jesus, that one day God is going to restore and set all things right. So when Jesus was here living with us, he spoke about the fulfillment of this hope that the people of God had been holding on to for so long. The passage that we read from Luke 21 this morning, verses 25 through 36. There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars 
On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world. For the heavenly bodies will be shaken. And at that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Now, what Jesus is describing here is sort of this in-case scenario, but what do you notice about what's happening? He's describing a world that is completely out of balance. Nothing is right. And and it's obvious. No one can deny that there is something wrong. And, and, And the response to this from most people is anguish and terror. Because there is uncertainty about the future. They're, they're, they're seeing what is happening and, and they don't know what to think about it other than to recognize that this is bad. The seas are tossing. The heavenly bodies are shaking. Things are wrong. And this lack of balance is important to this image and important to us understanding the hope that we have because this is how the world becomes when it is left to its own devices and when it moves away from God. It's frightening and it's out of control. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul talks about how we as Christians feel when we're away from God and, and he describes us as feeling naked and uncomfortable with life on earth because we see all around us the wrongness, <laughs> the wrongacity of being away from God. The whole situation is comfortable, is uncomfortable, and it's supposed to be. We are away from God, and as long as we are away from Him, things are going to be off. But into this chaotic situation comes something odd hope. Because everyone will see the Son of Man. This time when things are at their worst, the Son of Man will appear. And and, and Jesus says, when you see him, you will stand up and lift your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Hope in this case is the knowledge that even if things look bad, we know that the Lord will return. So while others around us may feel terror because the, uh, the world is circling out of control, we who know the promises of God fulfilled in Jesus, we can hold our heads high because we are hoping for the end to come. Do you see that? We are hoping for the end to come. Because, because this end is, is the fulfillment of all of the promises that God has made for us, that this world will pass away, but through the return of Jesus, God will restore and make new. And our hearts and our souls are ready for that moment, for God to return and to make all things new. So Jesus told them this parable, picking it up in verse 29. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. 
and that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Now look, some of these words from Jesus sound kind of ominous, don't they? They sound a little bit like a warning, which to some people maybe they are. But what Jesus really wants to remind people is that as we move forward, as, as we look forward to his return, we have two basic choices about how we can live out that time of chaos and waiting. We can give in to anxiety. And we can do things that help us cope with our anxiety, but that aren't leading us to God. What does he call it in this case? Well, he calls it drunkenness and carousing. No carousing, folks. But the reason why people get into this is not because they're being rebellious against God necessarily. It's that their hearts are weighed down and they have lost sight of the hope that we all have in Jesus. They forget who Jesus is and they stop living for Jesus because they have forgotten about him. And therefore, when he shows up, they are terrified because they have gotten away from the hope that they once had. So he tells the people that he's talking to, he says, hold on to the hope that you have. Be on the watch. Pray. Because this is going to happen. So don't give up on the hope that you have. The world is going to fall apart, but you don't have to worry because that simply means that you are closer to the return of Jesus. And church... The return of Jesus is the end game of everything. And it's always been this way. Someone will come to restore and make new. One will come to bring God's people back to him. The world itself, the Bible tells us, has been waiting for this moment. When, when creation is restored and brought back into harmony with God, where the seas are not roaring and the heavens are not warring against one another, but all things are made new under God. God has promised to restore his people. And now through Jesus, we are a part of that story. So the message is, don't live like you don't have hope in what's coming. Don't live like you don't have hope in the future. Don't live as if you have no idea how this is going to end. For it's not what happens up to the end that matters. It is the end itself. That undescribable hope that we have that Jesus is coming back, that all things will be made new, that it's not really an ending. It's just the beginning of the life that God has planned for us. And if you believe that Jesus will return, then stop living like you don't have hope. Don't give in to despair. Don't live as though there is nothing to look forward to because Jesus is coming back, church. And this is the story that we live in and live for. And in the knowledge that Jesus is coming back, we have something to look forward to. 
Being ready for Jesus is not about checking a list off of all the things you should or should not be doing. It's not making sure the house is clean and the bathrooms are presentable. Being ready for Jesus is grasping onto the hope that we have and the knowledge that God loves us and that his return is the best thing that's ever going to happen to this world. For God has always wanted to restore his people from the moment he lost them. He wanted to bring them back. He promised to do so. And in the coming of Jesus, we see just the first part of the fulfillment of this promise. Jesus arrived on the scene to give us a hope that is not blown and shaken by the world around it because it is defined by the world-changing love of God, a love that we are promised cannot be taken away from us, that there is nothing on heaven, on earth, or below that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. For the story that God is telling through the coming of Jesus is this. God didn't wait for us to figure things out. He came to us to love and redeem And he's coming again. From Psalm 25, And you, Lord my God, I put my trust. I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame. But shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Remember, Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from old. Do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me. For you, Lord, are good. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful towards those who keep the demands of his covenant. And we say again, guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Savior. And my hope is in you all day long. God came to earth to live with us, amen? God gives us forgiveness and love that we could never earn on our own. And he's coming back to make all things new. And that church gives us great hope. 